there's a lot of unknowns with pregnancy and delivery, as you probably know, too, just being a mom. It's like you have this birth plan and an idea of how it's all going to go. And then most of the time it goes right out the window and the plan that needed to happen happens. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey, 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 I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and mamas, today I'm about to be joined by a special guest, Dr. Ashley Berkman, who's going to help us dig into navigating healthcare costs through your pregnancy and beyond. Ashley is a naturopathic doctor at Collaborative Natural Health Partners in Manchester, Connecticut. She's the mother to two adorable twin boys, one with a physical disability that requires a substantial amount of medical intervention. So she has experience on this topic as a doctor and as a healthcare consumer as a mom. Medical bills are a big unknown for so many parents. So today we're going to make it a little easier for you to navigate that system. Now, before we get started, a quick reminder that these episodes are recorded live on YouTube. So if you want to have your questions answered on the show, be sure to head to youtube.com forward slash smart money mamas and click that subscribe button. And if you're expecting a new baby or have a friend who is, head to newmamamoneyplan.com for guidance on financially navigating the medical system and so much more. Are you ready to talk healthcare? Let's get started. Ashley, how are you doing? Hi, Chelsea. I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I'm so grateful to have you here. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your family. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, as you had mentioned, I'm a naturopathic doctor in Manchester, Connecticut. I am the mother to two twin boys, one with a physical disability, which is kind of going to put me in that expert category of navigating his health care from a doctor's perspective and also from a, from a mom's perspective. That's kind of me in a nutshell. That's kind of been my MO for the past two years is really more mom and doctor. There's not been a lot of in between because of the pandemic, but that's me in a nutshell. Especially now. And I think that even when it's not a pandemic, just navigating all the things that happen in healthcare when you have a child with a disability, that's almost a second full-time job, right? It really is. It's a ton of work, but definitely a labor of love. And I'm happy to share my, my experiences. Back to kind of just for a second, pregnancy and traditional delivery What surprises people about the medical costs associated with having a baby? There's so many things. I feel like there's a lot of unknowns with pregnancy and delivery, as you probably know, too, just being a mom. It's like you have this birth plan and an idea of how it's all going to go. And then most of the time it goes right out the window and the plan that needed to happen happens. So you just have to kind of be prepared for those unknowns. And sometimes that's not always possible. But understanding, I think, your actual healthcare plan, what you have, and learning about that beforehand so that you know what the worst case scenario could be, God forbid, and being prepared for that. Really what I mean by that is knowing your your individual deductible, because as the mom, you're the patient. So you're the one either delivering that baby, not naturally, or with you know an epidural, which is a costly expense, or a surgical intervention like a C-section, which is another um, echelon of cost. That's the biggest thing I think that people don't realize is that you can reach those max out-of-pocket expenses. And and that's a reality for some, luckily not for everyone. But I think kind of educating ourselves in that ahead of time can help us at least alleviate that financial unknown ahead of time. So when we look at the statistics, they say the average uncomplicated vaginal delivery in the U.S. is between $5,000 and $11,000, which blows my mind because that's the uncom- that's the cheapest option, yeah, right? That's uncomplicated. Yeah, that's bananas. And insurance will cover some of that. But like you said, you're going to have your deductible. You're going to have your out-of-pocket. And so you have to be prepared to think of those expenses. But one of the things that comes up, and we get this question from moms a lot, is that, okay, I'm pregnant. I need to know how much to save for this, this medical cost but I can't get any answers, right? Nobody will tell me 
what they think it's going to cost for me to deliver this baby. How can we as an individual get more clarity on what things cost when we're getting medical care? That's a really good question because even you call ahead of time and ask about a procedure that's going to happen. And even the insurance company and the hospital might have two different answers. And you're like, okay, well, how much do I really owe? And it's kind of like you just wait till the end and find out when you open the bill, which is totally not fair. But I think when it comes to medical care, specifically as it pertains to maternity care, I think have really, again, just looking and knowing your insurance plan. So if you know your family planning and you you're, might have the opportunity to change insurance plans, things to look for would be, you know, your deductible personally and what the family deductible will be and what, again, like is in network and what's going to be out of network because there's different costs associated with that. So then if you're like, I love this one hospital and I only want to deliver there, then know if they're in network or out of network because that will change the fee structure of what you're going to be billed. Really, and you don't know what's going to go down in that delivery room. You may end up having the least expensive option or something that's more costly. And some people's insurance cover the entirety of all of that. But I think knowing if you know where you want to deliver, knowing if that's an in-network facility for you and also what your out-of-pocket expenses are going to be associated with that. You may have already met them with your maternity care, but usually if you call the insurance enough, they'll just put one person on your actual answers your questions. And then you feel like you got a good timeline. But it's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. It does take hours out of your day. So you mentioned knowing your individual deductible and your family deductible. How are those different? And why do we need to know both numbers? Most of the time, if you're just an individual, if you and your spouse have separate insurance through your place of work, so each of you probably have your own separate insurances and your own deductibles. If you're on a family plan, then the two of you have separate deductibles in and out of network. So I know we're getting a little bit crazy here, but in-network is people who are considered in-network, usually your primary care provider and perhaps the local hospital. And then out-of-network could be specialists at other hospitals or out-of-state kind of thing. So there's two different deductibles for each individual. The family, there's this maximum that you'd have to pay. So not everybody in the family, if you have a family of 10, has to hit their each individual deductible, thank goodness, although that number can be big. So I think knowing your individual and then your family, it should be listed right there. Whenever you log into your insurance information, it should be very clear. If not, you can certainly call because once that baby is born after 30 days, they are under your uh, deductible and your care. But after 30 days, they end up actually becoming their own little deductible there (laughs) (laughs) with their own in and out of network. So it does get a little bit trickier, um, but usually um, it's quite obvious whenever you look on your online, like it should list everything out. This is a follow-on question because sometimes people think that they pay their deductible and then they're done, right? Like, okay, I have to budget for my deductible. What happens after you pay your deductible? What kind of numbers and phrases should we be either looking for or asking our insurance company about? Because obviously max out-of-pocket is higher than our deductible. So what do we know we have to pay after we hit our deductible? You know, I have to be honest. I was totally ignorant to a lot of this before I had to look at it more just through patient care. And definitely we're all about advocacy for our patients and helping them understand their medical bills and expenses and trying to make sure they know what they're getting into ahead of time. But so there's your deductible and your in and out of network deductible, your family deductible, but then there is this max out of pocket number that is something that once you hit that number, they cannot, they can no longer bill you for services. Like everything is covered, but that number is lots bigger than your individual and your family deductible. So Sometimes you look at that and you're like, oh, that will never happen. Well, I think that's like the worst case scenario. So looking at what that number is when you're picking a health insurance plan might help you understand which one's better. Of course, 
usually your monthly payment is more if it has a smaller max out of pocket. But if you're a family that knows you're going to require a lot of healthcare interventions, it might be a benefit to look at that. But knowing that number going into a delivery is probably a good idea. Again, that's like the worst case scenario. And I don't want to freak people out and not to deter them from family planning. But just that is something to think about because it is that number can be big and can be devastating if if you don't have that support. You mentioned like looking at that max out of pocket number when you're shopping insurance. And I want to touch on that because a lot of people will hit some kind of open enrollment at some point during their pregnancy, whether it's through their company or through their state. And I know you've done a lot of optimizing to figure out what works best for your family. What do we look at when we're in open enrollment and trying to figure out delivery costs and just potential higher expenses after birth? Usually your HR department, if you have one at your where you work, can help you navigate this too. So don't feel like you have to do it alone. I'm lucky enough to work at a place where I get support supported in every possible way. Usually we pick one or two healthcare insurers, and then there's usually three tiers or three options, which is usually what employees will do, employers will give employees. Usually there's this basic one that's much more reasonable in, in monthly payments, but your deductible is going to be bigger. And if you're like, hey, I just get my routine physical exam, gyno exam, whatever, and those are usually just paid 100%, then you're probably good sticking there. If you want something that has a lower deductible because you know that you're going to have colonoscopy that year or a mammo that year or a baby that year, then you should probably pick one that maybe is a little bit more costly per month. And maybe your employer will pay a portion of the upgrade or you have to pay a portion of that. But at the end, you're actually going to be saving, if that makes sense. So you kind of have to look at that. And remember that you can change this, guys. So you can pick a more expensive healthcare plan for the year you're having your baby. And then if everything is fine the next year, lower it down again. We, I think sometimes we're reticent to make too many changes in things like insurance. And so we can shift around when we need to shift around. We've kind of touched on the insurance things. Is there anything we can ask our hospital? So obviously we're calling our insurance. We're asking about deductibles and coinsurance and so forth. But is there anything we can ask when we're trying to figure out where we want to deliver to figure out how to save, if there's ways to save on costs? Probably for the layperson, it's going to be a little challenging to call and be like, how much is this going to cost? And it's, you know, I don't even know who you're going to get put in touch to. I mean, I don't even know who they're, who's going to answer the phone on the other end of the line. But I will say, I know our local area hospital here that happens to have a good birthing and delivery unit like they have, they're really known for that, actually get accolades by the health insurance company. They prefer this location because their costs are less. Like they actually don't upcharge things like other hospitals may. How the general population would know that, I have no idea. Um, I just happen to know the background. I think what would be important, if you know where you want to deliver, I think making that like choice and then figuring everything else out beyond that. Like if you want to, because the view is beautiful and that's going to make your birth better, pick whatever is going to make you feel most supported and definitely tour facilities. And also it's important, whoever you want to use in that labor and delivery unit, if it's your OB, do they have hospital rights there? So I think that definitely supersedes things and then the money kind of follows, but I didn't even ask those questions. I wouldn't even know like what they would tell you other than maybe they might say you can show you the average cost maybe and like kind of give you an idea of that so that if they're like, yeah, $10,000 is the average. You're like, well, my personal deductible is 2,500. So I know I better at least have that ready because that's probably going to be met instantaneously. It sounds like maybe your OB or your doctor could help you with this too. As you were saying, you have a sense because you're in the medical community, they might be able to provide some guidance as well. So what about other ways to save on birth costs? So sometimes we get the question of whether someone should use a midwife or a birthing center as opposed to an OB or a hospital. What should we consider when we're making those kind of decisions? One, if you're having a singleton baby, not a twin, um, I think that that probably makes that decision a little bit easier. If you are considering home birth, if it's uncomplicated, you don't have any 
hypertensive issues or blood sugar concerns, like things that would kind of put you in an upper level of needing more triaged care if that was needed. Not that midwives and people who are trained can't support you at home, but I just, you know, you want to make that decision based on the safety of your, what your situation is. But certainly if you're birthing at home, you are the hospital, you are everything. So you don't have those fees. And then you don't have all the the people coming in and all those extra fees that kind of come up with that, the hearing test right away, all the car seat test, all that stuff costs money. Not that they're not important things to have done. It's just all that gets saved. So if it is your wish to do that, I mean, you're going to be saving quite a bit of money and just paying for the support of whatever support staff you have there. What safety things should you consider and think about, right? You listed off some of the things that could increase the risk, but if you're considering using a birthing center or just a non-hospital option, what are the differences between like using a birthing center, a home birth, or going to a hospital? Definitely, if you have any health concerns, like if you're preeclamptic, which certainly you should be in a hospital if that's happening, like blood pressure concerns, if there's any fetal distress, if the baby has shown signs of distress, some might even say if the baby's breached, just because that does increase the risk of issue. If you've ever been referred to a specialist outside of your actual midwife or your person who's been caring for you, it probably is a sign that there was concern that maybe there might need intervention, which isn't the norm. But I think if those are more obvious things that as a new mom, you should be like, oh, maybe it might be a good idea to have more people there just in case. One of the things that we all know, and you absolutely know, is that medical costs don't stop after your baby arrives. So what do we need to know about care and potential costs for newborns? After they're born, if they're lucky enough to be full term, which my my twins luckily were and didn't require a lot of time in the NICU, but that can be costly. NICU is quite expensive. So again, that goes towards dorm deductible as a mom initially. So if there's any time spent there um, and then after that, really just the routine expenses of what your pediatrician would be where you go and follow up and have those routine visits. If you have a child who has a disability or any other complication, then you're adding in specialists that they're going to be seeing. And those usually cost more. Usually there's higher copays associated with those visits. And then once that baby hits 30 days, then they have their own deductible. So then that stuff kind of starts to roll in there too. How do we go about finding a good pediatrician? If this is our first kid, right? how do we find somebody that we know we're going to trust or like? Definitely interview. And most of the time, pediatricians are interviewing you too, because they want it to be a good relationship. They don't want to have animosity. If you have wishes on, you know, you're like set in stone on one aspect of healthcare and they're not, then obviously it's not going to be a good match. What we did is we just went and toured the facility and talked to them ahead of time and met all the practitioners and felt like it was a good spot. So for me, not initially, I didn't realize it was going to be important, but I did like that they had really good on-call service and they just, their customer service seemed really good. So it's important to me now that I have that ability as well. Checking for things like late night or weekend hours too can be helpful. What about thinking about a pediatrician versus a family care doctor? So somebody who sees adults and kids. I guess it kind of would be personal preference. I have some adult patients who've like been with the same doc forever, (laughs) which is kind of cool, right? I mean, they see you grow up and that would be just fine. I don't think there's really a major difference. If they feel strong in pediatrics and you feel comfortable with that, that's totally fine. I know personally, the primary care docs that I know tend to not see young kids just because the vaccination schedule is quite heavy and it's a lot to kind of manage. So usually a pediatrician is, that's kind of their role, but but yeah, either way, I don't think it would cost any different, actually. I mean, I think it'd be the same same to the insurance company. Yeah, from a cost perspective, we actually, we so we loved our pediatrician for our boys when we lived in Boston. They were She was amazing. But we moved down here. We were trying to find a doctor. We actually found a family doctor that now sees my husband and I and the boys 
And we really enjoyed that just because he gets to know everybody in the family. It's a good setting stone, but it's not something I even thought existed. One of the things, uh, somebody just said, I hated that no pediatrician would meet me before her twins were born. You just had to pick one and hope it went well. That's great. I actually haven't heard that. Most pediatricians I looked at at least had like office hours where you could come like, not office hours, that's the wrong word, but like meet and greet hours that you could come meet all the doctors. Did you have that in your experience too? I had called and just said, hey, I'd like to um, inquire about my upcoming twin boys coming to your practice. And they were like, yeah, we'll have one of the doctors call you. And he totally called me while I was grocery shopping and like talked to me the entire time. And I was like, all right, well, you know, at the end of it, I was like, I think this is a good fit. They were more than willing to have an interaction. So that's kind of frustrating. I, I do understand it is, I mean, it's a free consultation on their part, right? So I think like, you know, I get calls a lot saying, can we talk to the doctor ahead of time to see if she's going to be a good fit? And that's, I don't have all that time in the day to do all that. So, but I think as a pediatrician, again, like it has to be a sympathetical relationship or it's just not going to be good. And you have this brand new itty bitty going in. You don't want to be like, oh no, I don't feel supported now. So uh, that's frustrating. I would probably pick a different doctor if you couldn't talk to them ahead of time. (laughs) So we have another question here from Sarah who says, what kind of question should I ask the provider when I interview them? So when you are talking to pediatricians, what are you asking? What are you looking for? Usually a hot button topic is vaccination schedules. So if that's something that's important to you, that they break vaccinations out, like what does that look like? If you have a plan or an agenda of like what you want that to look like, I think that's a good idea. And then laying it on them and then giving it a thumbs up or thumbs down and being open-minded because I had a lot of my own agenda definitely ahead of time as a naturopathic doctor going in, but getting educated from them on their perspective as to why they do their routines as well. So I think it really, there was a nice happy medium with that discussion. So I think setting your ground ground rules with your partner, if you have one to kind of say like, this is a definite no, we definitely would never do this. If that's not going to work, then that would be a big deal. Beyond that, I mean, office hours, one thing I like is that our pediatrician has a sick area and then a well area. I mean, this is pre-COVID. Now they're really careful. But if you're going in for a wellness exam, they don't have sick children in there right beforehand. And they separate the waiting room that way as well. So to me, that's really important. Just little things like that, like that you feel like, oh, that was a nice touch. Like those things kind of help you understand that's going to be a good space for you. You brought up vaccination schedules. There's all these decisions you have to make, vaccination schedules and when you cut the cord and all these kind of things when you're a new mom, right? From the little thing to the big thing. Yeah. What advice do you have for new moms who are feeling overwhelmed with all these decisions and experiences you have to make in a very short period of time? I would highly recommend taking, like our local hospital has classes, had, I'm not sure about now, but had classes for prenatal care. And basically they help write those questions for you. So you're like, oh, shoot, I never thought about that because you don't want to make that decision in the 11th hour. So I think it's very important to have that support. So any most local hospitals have like a courses you can go through. It's not even just like teaching you how to breathe through delivery, but also just how to literally like, what, what do you need to think about? What does that look like? I would take some courses, most of them, all of them actually at the hospital were free. So I think that would be a good resource to kind of just know what you need to not know, you know? <laughs> you, don't, you, don't yeah, know. you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit for about having a child with special needs. So one of your twins has special needs. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So my son Carter has a form of congenital muscular dystrophy, specifically a subset called LAMA2. I've since become an expert, right? Because I know nothing about that beforehand. <laughs> Not that new mamas need to know that. But I think with his disability comes tons of extra care. He's doing well. He's he's thriving. He's doing good. Um, but I think it's it's just a ton of extra expense and a ton of extra work. To me, it's normal. It's not anything different. Like we've just always known life like this. So it's like, you and just any other, you know, I have a lot of patients who care for their ailing parents and it's very similar to me. And like, 
the stress of making sure, are they eating everything they need to eat? Are they taking all their supplements? Are they getting to and fro their appointments? It's like, I think everyone can kind of resonate at some point in their life with having that caregiving role beyond just being a parent. With healthcare, it just, it adds this extra piece where you're the mom, also the advocate, because he's not old enough to speak for himself. That's where I think it gets really heavy on parents because you're kind of like, is this intervention necessary? It's also extremely costly. And it becomes overwhelming because every doctor has a different opinion and you're like, well, should we do this or not? For me, what's been quite helpful is reaching out through social media and finding other families who have similar, the exact same disability. And did you guys do this or not? How much did it cost you? Do you like this power chair? Is this the one that we should do? Like all these questions. And that's where I've learned the most about what we should do. And then I come in with my list and talk to the orthopedic, like, do you think this hip stuff is necessary now or in a year? And so he's kind of looking at me like, okay, you got you got some stuff under your belt. You know what you're talking about. We can have healthier conversations. So I don't think every parent feels comfortable even talking to other doctors. I just happen to, to feel comfortable because that's my role um, as a doctor. But I think reaching out and having support of other people in that exact same like situation as you is very, very helpful. That's like gold. I, I really can't underemphasize that piece. Finding your community is is a huge part of that. How did Carter get diagnosed, right? Was it right at birth? Did you have to figure this out over time? Normally kids don't get diagnosed until they're three, six months, even a year old, which is kind of wild to me because we were pretty, I think it's because we had twins. We knew like, hey, his tone is not the exact same. And a lot of people were like, you have twins, you know, don't compare them. And, and I was like, okay, I am I'm just not comfy with where we're at. And so he ended up having to be admitted to the hospital to be able to like determine what's going on, see by everyone. He was thriving. He just didn't have the same type of tone. He was at the hospital seen by everyone. Eventually this amazing neurologist swept in and was like, I think I know what's going on. There was a six week period of time we were waiting on genetics. And then we learned exactly what kind of diagnosis that he has. It is not easy. I mean, that time of life is bananas. It's definitely traumatic. You have two new twin boys, you're pumping at the hospital, you're trying to eat this crappy lunch they give you. <laughs> you're like, I don't eat gluten and dairy. And they're like, can you have eggs? And I'm like, okay, just whatever you got. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, it's just, it was an experience that my husband and I think will be tethered to that moment in time forever. But I think beyond that diagnosis, then you kind of feel like, okay, now I can do some research. So, you know, a new mom up at night pumping all, every three hours. We became experts in, in no time, but that was kind of his way to, to learn his diagnosis, um, which I think has helped us to realize, okay, he's going to take longer to eat. So we just give him more time. And I think we've been able to avoid certain interventions other families had to unfortunately go through because they didn't have that diagnosis earlier on. If you have a newborn that you feel like something's uncomfy, right? Like not right. How do you know when that's new mom anxiety or when you should really push to get them checked? Again, I love our pediatrician. I went in and she was looking him over and was, he was like, hey, you know, I think he's doing okay. Just kind of let's keep working on feeding. And not that she was poo-pooing my, my concerns at all. And then when I called back and I was still concerned, even though he was eating the same and wet diapers were the amount that they said was okay. She goes, are you concerned? And I was like, she goes, okay, then I'm concerned. And so let's send him and get him evaluated. And I was like, that would make me feel better. Of course, I don't want to go to the hospital right now. I'm postpartum and healing from a C-section, you know, it was miserable. But luckily, I felt like she didn't let me sit on an island for too long. She was like, all right, let's just let's just call it. Let's go get things done. And I was like, let's I agree. That's a good doctor for sure. And I think that's a point too. We talked earlier about thinking we can't switch around insurance policies. We, it's the same thing with a pediatrician. If you feel like your pediatrician's not listening to you, go find another doctor. Like, yes, um, you want somebody who feels like they're really on your team. 
Yes, definitely. I mean, if you can't have a conversation or feel heard or you get that like, oh, you're just a new mom kind of thing, which you are. And of course, I'm open to listening, but you have your gut instincts. And so you always have to follow those. You always do. Do you have any advice for moms of special needs kids on getting the support that they need, either financially or medical care? Every state has the Office of the Healthcare Advocate. They are responsible for basically taking on any, they can help you understand like what is available to you in your state. Again, something I've learned since Carter has been born. At our hospital, our children's hospital, they have what's called care coordinators. And I believe every hospital does. And she helps to coordinate like any questions that fall through the cracks that you're like, okay, well, I have a question on this. She doesn't have all the answers, but she has the resources to help you find those. Our particular healthcare coordinator, her name is Rochelle, shout out. She's amazing. She actually, in the beginning, whenever you have a child who has a disability or a need that is like requiring a lot of care, you get calls from everyone from birth to three, OT, PT, speech. When can we come to the house to do nurse check-ins? You get your insurance company calling saying, do you want someone to support you here? And all of a sudden, I'm in Target with my mom, with my other son who wasn't in the hospital for the first outing just to go do nothing, buy nothing I needed. Rochelle calls and I was like, you know what? I can't have any more calls. I can't deal with this. I'm overwhelmed. And she was so kind. I was like, okay, I'll call you in a couple of weeks whenever you feel like things are settled. When she called back, I was like, I am so sorry. You are so helpful. And it was like, she we have this like love for each other now because I was definitely not nice when she first called. But what she's helped me to realize is, so I will write her and say, hey, I want to get Carter this feeding chair. It is $600. Insurance doesn't cover this. How do I get this covered? And she's like, here's an awesome charity in Connecticut. If I will give you all the forms, I will be the person to say, yes, he has this condition from the hospital. And I have gotten three chairs, uh, bath seats, all the, from all these resources that she's given me. I mean, it takes work. You have to write for the grants. You have interview processes, but she's helped me understand that. She's helped me connect to um, other families. Like, I mean, I think just finding a resource that can kind of be that person that you're like, hey, I'm stuck. And then she'll help you to get unstuck. So healthcare coordinators should be available through your local hospital. I'm sure your pediatrician could help you navigate that. So I think that's a, a good place to kind of start because they'll help you navigate all the things you don't know about beforehand. How do you start to figure out every state I know has their own resources for special needs kids, special needs adults. How do you start to figure out what your state offers and how to get into the advocacy role of changing things to get more of what you need for your kids? Every state, again, probably the Office of the Healthcare Advocate, honestly, would be a good place to start. But every state has their own rules and regulations about how they support families with a child with a disability. Some states, right out the gate, you get this waiver program where basically if something's not covered by your traditional health care, it automatically, well, within reason, I mean, they're definitely very strict about their rules. I couldn't just say, I want this fancy bed or whatever. And they're like, well, this one will do, you know, kind of thing. But there are the ability for them to kind of swoop in and cover that. So other states, not Connecticut, unfortunately, like the power chair is automatically something that gets waived. Like you get that and that's golden. For those of us, if you're out of a certain financial income, and that's combined with your partner, if you're filing jointly, you are disqualified from that benefit, basically, until and there's this program here in Connecticut, unique to Connecticut, well, actually, I think it's across the whole United States, but it's called our Katie Beckett waiver program. Yes, it's across the whole United States. And that's, I think, for the states that don't automatically have that like, swoop in kind of situation. And so we're on a wait list, we're told he might be seven, eight, nine, ten 10, by the time that comes around. Unfortunately, um, but that would be cool when it does, because we've definitely learned how to kind of navigate without it. But 
I think those kind of resources and things, again, I never knew about beforehand. So I think just making sure you're on that Katie Beckett waiter, wait, uh, wait list program so that you can get called up to have some financial support at some point in time. It appears that we lost Ashley. She might be back in just a minute. We have Tawny in the comments here saying, totally agree with how valuable an online community is. My daughter was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder at 18 months that even the dermatologist had never dealt with before. Oh my goodness, that must have been super overwhelming, Tawny. And she said that finding other moms to connect with on Facebook helped me navigate finding localish specialists and experienced doctors to offer support and care. The internet, this is one of these beautiful things about the internet, right guys, where we can connect with people from all walks of life, from all around the world that have expertise. And so finding that support, finding that community is really important. Whether you have a healthy new baby and you're doing fine, or (laughs) hold on, we're going to bring Ashley back on, or you're really struggling with a rare special need or a special need for your kids. So Ashley, what I was asking you before we lost you there for a second was given that you're a naturopath, I have some questions for you on what are some good ways on recovering post-delivery, whether you have a vaginal delivery or a C-section delivery to take the best care of yourself? I mean, it's crazy, but I really just wasn't prepared for a C-section. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to deliver these babies vaginally. This isn't going to be me. For sure, I think exploring what it looks like to heal from a C-section ahead of time is a good idea. And having pants, underwear, things that go all the way up, <laughs> not that's going to hit you right there at that area that's so sensitive. I think preparing clothes definitely is one thing. Making sure that you have enough nourishment for after. And that's like planning what things you want to eat. Because people are going to send you food no matter what, which is awesome and very I mean, everyone here in the office knows my dietary restrictions. So I ate like a queen. So I had no issue. (laughs) But I think if you do have things that you cannot eat, just having yourself ahead of time prepared because you have to have sustenance because you're going to be tired and you're going to feel, you know, especially if you're pumping or breastfeeding, you're going to need those extra calories. Hydrating for sure is a huge piece. So um, if one person you want to make that be their duty is make sure I get plenty of water, like then they'll bring that to your bedside. And really, I think just emotionally, because you do want some space, like, I mean, you're just navigating your new body and your new babies, but, or baby, uh, usually. (laughs) But I think, you know, if you know yourself, and you know that you tend to have anxiety or have any uh, history of depression, to maybe talk to a therapist ahead of time, maybe one that specializes in postpartum, just to have some check-ins, to have someone to talk to, because there are so many unknowns after a delivery. And so I think it's important to have that support just in case. We actually did a whole episode just on Tuesday, all about maternal mental health. And so guys, go check out that video if you haven't seen it yet. And we'll also be opening up for questions for Ashley in just a minute. So if you have questions for her, drop them in the comments. But Ashley, what about establishing breastfeeding? What are some things we can do to make sure that we're, we're doing that properly? Definitely having a lactation consultant, I think was helpful. That was something I did pre and post, just knowing I had twins. So I wanted to make sure I was able to have every idea and thought out there at the end of the day, it's whatever works for you. But I think making sure that you have an appropriate fitting bra so that you can feel comfortable because that's always kind of different too, because everything changes. If you're going to pump, making sure that you have all those pumping supplies ahead of time, making sure that you actually have a pump that's ready to go before you deliver, because that is something that's mandated that you get a brand new pump every single pregnancy, no matter what your insurance is. So making sure you have all that stuff ahead of time. And really it comes down to, yeah, nutrition, eat and hydrate, eat and hydrate. That's going to help establish that relationship a lot easier. So we have a question from Sarah here that says, is there anything you wish you'd known ahead of time or done differently as a new mom in general or with Carter? Yeah, I guess certainly would have looked into what C-section recovery was like ahead of time. That would have been a good idea. 
honestly, beyond that, I feel like everything I tried to prepare for was nothing that I needed to prepare for. So I think you're on the right point. If you're even listening in, you're already doing the right thing. Honestly, like you're already like, there's so much to know and so much to be worried about that at the end of the day, if it is less stressed to not do one more dig, that's probably the right choice. I think that that's one of those things too, where we talked about this a little bit on Tuesday, trusting your instincts too. Sometimes we get so caught up in research mode that we don't notice where things, you know, as you said, just felt a little off. And so trusting yourself and kind of giving yourself a step back because man, those kids are unpredictable. They are, they'll continue to be, yeah. So a question we had submitted ahead of time, we had told everyone that you had twins and that one of them had special needs. A question we had submitted ahead of time is, how do you handle siblings when one kid needs so much intensive care, balancing that relationship? You have a unique situation because they're twins, but even if you had another sibling in the house, how do you navigate that? That would be a good question for my husband, who currently is a stay-at-home dad. He navigates it amazingly. I think that because they're twins, they both don't know any different. So we all know that Carter's going to need a little bit more help. He's going to need to get moved from place to place, and that's going to take a little extra time. As I was leaving this morning, Calvin, the unaffected twin, was definitely having a meltdown because he wanted to go outside, and Carter, we had to get him in there and get him ready to go. So the waiting is a little challenging. But making time for each of them, making time and really talk about their feelings. They're a little young to really talk to about that kind of stuff necessarily. But I understand that tantrums and certain things, I'm like, okay, put myself in his shoes, look at the situation. And I understand why he's feeling that way. So making sure that I take that extra moment to listen to what he's trying to do, even if it's not like, I don't really want to stop to play with the water thing, but that's what we got to do in this moment. It's just kind of put myself in his shoes and, and understanding where he's coming from. Somebody said, how much will having a baby all on one deductible save me? So I think she means like not having the year pass over when you're in the middle of maternity care. I guess I don't understand the question. If you kind of plan for your baby to happen all in one year, basically. Yeah. I mean, you'd be paying towards that deductible. So I guess then it probably would behoove you to do that. I know that was kind of a thought in my mind, but of course it doesn't ever work out. (laughs) It's like it turns over and then they're coming. So there you go. But I honestly, I know there's some tricks too, and I'm not an expert on it, but there, I think the insurance that you start with is responsible for the care all the way through. And I could totally be off base on this, but I know like you can't just like jump ship halfway through and be like, I want to do this new insurance plan now because you already have a pre-existing condition of a baby being delivered. And so they kind of like, there's something with that. I, cause I, I purposely changed stuff up before I knew I was trying maybe kind of keep that in the back of your mind. There might be some nuances with that. Yeah. And that's a question to ask too, before you change insurances is what happens if I'm in the middle of of delivery and things like that. Not in the middle of delivery, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. Don't change your insurance literally while you're delivering. It's not anything you need to be worried about. (laughs) Too much (laughs) other stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Too much other stuff. Ashley, any other tips or advice for new moms out there? Listen to your instincts don't shy away from connecting. I think in the beginning, I was not in denial, but I just, I didn't want to get overwhelmed with what Carter's diagnosis meant. But since meeting and reaching out to other people and finding that community, that I think with anything, no matter what somebody's going through is super duper important. So you'll find that like from your friendships that you meet through those kind of things, I think you'll realize like even just being a twin mom, there's a lot of twin moms that I'm like, oh, that's a really great idea. That's a cool stroller or anyone going through a similar situation as you, I think is very helpful. So finding that support, making sure you have a good solid support team for afterwards, because you're going to need it for sure. Ashley, where can people follow up with you if they have questions or just want to hear more about your journey? 
Well, you're welcome to look at our professional website at ctnaturalhealth.com. That's where I'm at my where I'm at most of my days is here in the office. You're welcome to follow me on social media. I have a uh, my own private Facebook page, but I'm happy to answer questions if anyone has anything that they want to talk about. I'm I am here. We will link to that in the resources. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. This was wonderful. Thanks so much, Chelsea. Mamas, the healthcare system in the U.S. is complicated and expensive, even if you're a doctor yourself. The more questions you can ask during pregnancy, the fewer financial surprises you'll have to handle as a new mom. Make sure to take the time to understand your options, prepare for how much you could be responsible for, and consider what other medical support you may want from mental health to lactation professionals. If you need help, the New Mama Money Plan can guide you in what questions to ask and the costs to consider. Check it out at newmamamoneyplan.com. I want to thank Dr. Ashley Berkman again for coming on the show, for links to her practice, Collaborative Natural Health, and her social media profile so you can continue to connect with her. Head to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 119. Keep talking money, mama. I'll see you next time.